This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is missionary Stephen Simmons. Uh, my name is Stephen Simmons. That there is my wife, uh, Wendy Simmons. Some of you know us already, and uh, those of you that don't, I suppose, weren't listening very well. Uh, <laughs> I get a bit nervous when I get in front of people and when I, when I speak publicly, I suppose, and naturally this is the line of work God chose for me. But I praise him for it because if you get something from it, I know it's not because I, I spoke so eloquently or because I was such a compelling uh, speaker. I know it's all because of God, of course. Missionaries of Central and South America, but uh, Mexico's a quicker way of saying it, so we usually go with that. Um, I suppose I'll tell you all about my uh, salvation testimony. I, uh, I was about four years old at the time, and uh, I, I remember seeing people get in the baptistry in, in my home church, and uh, my, my family was going to church before I was ever born, and they're still going to church now after I'm born, praise the Lord. But uh, the, I remember seeing people get in the baptistry, and they were getting baptized because they had gotten saved, and in a step of obedience, of course, not for salvation, but because of it. And uh, I, I asked my dad why people are getting in the water. And uh, I, I knew we had a uh, swimming pool at our house one summer, and uh, I remembered enjoying that. And I thought, well, why not, why not get in the water at church? So I, I asked my dad about salvation, or I asked him about baptism, rather. And uh, like any good parent, he, he took me through the plan of salvation. He explained everything to me. He asked me all the, the right questions, and I gave him all the right answers. But I didn't understand what he was talking about at all. I knew if I said a certain amount of things, you know, if he, if he asked me this and I answered this, I knew if I answered all these questions right, I'd get to get in that water. So that, that was, it was pure innocence, but that's just where my mind was at the time. I was too young to, to understand, and it got to the point where, uh, you know, my dad, from what he could tell, I got saved that night, and then I got baptized there in front of my, in front of my home church. And of course, baptism doesn't save you. So uh, as much as I was lost before the baptism, I was still lost after. And, uh, it, it came to a point where, uh, it was eight years later, and, uh, I was, I was at a youth conference, uh, and, and the pastor, it may not have been the pastor, it may have been a guest speaker, but uh, he was preaching on, on Judas, and uh, one of the 12 disciples that uh, spent the most time with Jesus on his, on his earthly ministry here, he ended up betraying Jesus. They, uh, they didn't have the terminology back then, at least I don't think they did, but uh, if they would have asked one of the other disciples, like uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, uh, that was a joke. <laughs> but uh, if, you were, if you were to have asked one of the other disciples, is Judas saved, they would have said, of course he is. He's just like us. He does the same things we do. He's, he's you know, performing miracles in the name of Jesus. He's, he's one of the disciples. And uh, everybody else would have thought so, I believe. But uh, Jesus knew and Judas knew. And uh, I was sitting there next to, my, next to my peers, next to my pastor there at that conference. And I remember thinking, these are the disciples and I'm Judas. I'm, I'm the one that everybody, everybody thought I was saved from what they remembered. I got, I got saved when I was four years old and everybody else believed that a lot more than I believed it. I was more so told it because I mean, as, as far as anybody else knew, I was saved at that age. But uh, the Lord was really stirring my heart. I was under conviction as, as anybody that's gotten saved probably has an experience with being under conviction. It wasn't comfortable. It, uh, it was, I was, I was tired of it. I was, I was ready to get saved. But uh, I, I remember specifically uh, that, that time when I was four and my dad took me through the plan of salvation, it was uh, February 29th, so a leap year, the day that comes once every uh, four years, at least it is four years last time I counted. Um, but they, they, my dad thought that was the neatest thing because uh, your spiritual birthday, you know, your, your salvation birthday, that's, that's once every four years because of a, a technicality there. And I thought that was neat too because obviously my dad thought it was neat. And uh, I, was, I was trying to reason with God. I was trying to well, argue with him. Not, it was unreasonable. But I was, I was saying things like, well, what if I just wait until, until next February 29th? And uh, you know, then I get saved that day. Or what if, what if, I, uh, what if, what if uh, I'm embarrassed? What if these people already think I'm saved? What if they say, oh, no, you were already saved. What are you doing? I didn't, I didn't understand. But I was, I was, 
The devil will use absolutely anything he can to keep you from getting saved. And the, the most trivial, silly things, such as a, a certain day or what people are going to think of you. Folks, if somebody here isn't saved and they came and received Christ as their Savior today, we're going to rejoice with you. Nobody's going to be upset. No one's going to say they lied to me all these years, anything like that, and shake their fist at you and tell you, if they do, I will at the very least. But uh, praise the Lord, if you're not saved today, it's, this is the day to get it settled. We don't know who's going to make it home today. We don't know who's going to be back here next week. But uh, the, today's the day of salvation. If you've got an opportunity to get saved, now's the time to do it. Um, that being said, that evening, I, uh, I, uh, I was under conviction, of course, and I, I just I went to the altar as soon as they opened it. And I already knew how to get saved. I knew you know, trusting Christ as your Savior. And I went to the altar and I said, Lord, I'm going to hell. I'm on my way to hell. It was an uncomfortable thought. Of course it's an uncomfortable thought. Hell's a terrible place. But I remember saying, I'm going to hell. And I asked God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Everybody thinks I'm not, except for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm, I know I'm lost. I know I'm on my way to hell. I asked God to save me, forgive me of my sins, take me to heaven when, my, when I die, and, and praise the Lord, I'm saved. I've been saved ever since, and I'll be saved for all eternity. Not because it's something God did for me. So I praise the Lord. What a great salvation. I, um, a year later, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not getting on Facebook here. I'm just making sure I'm aware of my time. Oh, I've got a clock in the back. Never mind. If I was on Facebook, I'd just be watching the live stream anyway. <laughs> I don't know if y'all hear an echo when I talk. I hear one now. I can imagine it being worse if I'm watching myself on video. Um, the, the following year after I got saved, and before, before I talk too much, I, this is a fantastic building, by the way. I don't think, I didn't mention this, and I mean to before I get too deep into things. I've never been in a building shaped like this as far as I remember. And it's just, it's just, it's incredible to me. I like it. It's very beautiful. Whoever built this did a good job, or whoever bought it bought a good building, I suppose. <laughs> Anyways, that being said, that little rabbit trail there. We, uh, my, my, my home church, the year after I got saved, we went to, uh, we went to a youth camp uh, every year, as you do. And uh, it was, it was here in Virginia. This is Virginia, right? Okay, just making sure. I traveled a lot, folks. I, uh, <laughs> I get confused sometimes, and I'll say I'm in a different state completely, and, and a state of mind, maybe. But anyways, in, uh, in Hillsville, here in Virginia, and uh, we, we, um, we'd show up there with several other churches, and we'd, we'd get to hear some good preaching. We'd get to, uh, to play some games, eat some uh, questionable food, and uh, get injured. I did just about every year got injured. Uh, anyways, never broke a bone, though, praise the Lord. Anyways, we, uh, we'd go to this middle of nowhere, uh, middle of nowhere town in Hillsville in this, uh, mountain in the, uh, the camp there, campground. Uh, no cell phone service for probably 10 miles around, which was always funny because, uh, you'd have at least one person in the group that would bring a cell phone anyway. And you'd see as they get there, I don't have any service. And I'd, I'd ask them, why do you need service? Your friends are here. Who are you gonna, you're gonna call? But, uh, the logic, I guess, went past them on that one. Anyways. But, uh, all that to say, we came to a camp here in Hillsville. And we got to hear some good preaching and uh, sort of get away from, from everyday distraction of the teenager's face. And uh, I remember specifically Pastor, uh, Pastor Rick Finley was uh, preaching on uh, John chapter 9, I believe it is, when uh, that, that young boy, I'm actually going to turn there because I don't want to misrepresent the scripture, and God said it a lot better than I ever could, praise the Lord. Let's see. John chapter 6, see, I told you, I, God said it better than I did. Anyways, but uh, this 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 passage here, where where these uh, these people are following Jesus, and they they want to, they they're they've been following for a while, they're weary, and and uh, there's over five thousand people, and uh, Jesus feeds those people. Now uh, they they all they all you know, they didn't have much food around uh, to to go around, so to speak, but uh, 
you see in, in uh, uh, verse six, 7, uh, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. Uh, Philip's saying, basically, if you worked for 200 days straight, you wouldn't be able to uh, afford all the food you'd need to feed these 5,000 people. Then uh, one of the disciples, in verse uh, 8, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise to the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Now, you see in this miracle, and this is what Pastor Finley was preaching at the time, was uh, that, that Jesus had a, a job to do. There was, there was the, the disciples, they had something they needed to get done. They needed to feed these 5,000 people. A tremendous job. If you've ever been in the same building as 5,000 people, it's just a tremendous number of people. And uh, if you were to, you know, in this time, they say if you worked for 200 days straight, essentially, you wouldn't be able to pay for everybody to have a little bit of food. But uh, Andrew came forth. He brought this little boy who had a lo- uh, five loaves and two small fishes. But uh, what are they among so many? He didn't have much, uh, but he gave all he had. And Jesus took that little and he used it to reach many. Now, what uh, Pastor Finley was telling us was that uh, you don't need to be capable. You don't need to be anything special. You just need to be willing. And that's one thing God's proved to me time and time again when it comes to, when it comes to soul winning and, and Spanish. I'm not fluent yet, folks. I, I can sometimes, uh, if I'm conversing regularly, sometimes I really stumble through conversations. That's part of the learning process, but that's the way I am right now. But when it comes to witnessing to people in Spanish, telling them how to know for sure they have a home in heaven one day, uh, God does most of the work. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not very fluent. I'm not very eloquent in Spanish, but I'll usually, I'll take out a gospel track and I'll ask them, can we, can we practice Spanish? Can you help me learn some? And they'll say, sure. And then, uh, I'll ask them, what does this verse say? And they'll read for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I'll explain them a little bit and I'll say, what does this verse say? And they'll read for the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In a few minutes, they've essentially witnessed to themselves, folks. And, uh, <laughs> It's, it's not because I'm so clever, but it's because God doesn't need me to be capable. God needs me to be willing. He'll take care of the rest. God was talking to them long before I did. I'm, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But uh, that, that night when uh, Pastor Finley was preaching on this, I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll trust you and I'll, I'll do whatever you, you call me to. And uh, it wasn't until I was in Bible college when uh, I, I specifically asked God, well, will you let me be a missionary? There's, uh, there's you know, there's a lot of... A lot of um, opportunities for that type of thing, but particularly with the girl I was dating. And uh, I appreciate, is it Miss Catherine that was speaking? Did I remember her name right? Okay, Catherine, I guess he head nodding, so good. I'm terrible with names, <laughs> but uh, I remembered that one. But I heard her talking, and I appreciate her giving us an introduction like that. She said that we had our, our first date, and two years later we got married. There were actually dates in between there where we'd... Uh... <laughs> Just wanted to clarify in case y'all were confused. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyways, I'm funny. <laughs> I try to be. Uh, anyways, um, but I met my wife at Bible college. She wasn't my wife at the time when I met her, but uh, I, I'm fooling around too much. I apologize. I don't actually apologize. I don't mean it. Anyways, we got to, we got to meet in Bible college there. We started dating several times up until we got married, and even so until this day. But uh, I remember specifically uh, dating a missionary's daughter, which is something I'd never done. I'd never dated anybody before. 
But uh, I remembered that specific uh, calling had never been given to me. God never said, uh, go to Mexico, go to, go to the mission field, go specifically. He never you know, opened the skies and spoke to me in an audible voice. And if he did, I'd still be running, folks. But uh, he, never, he never said specifically go to the mission field. But uh, as a teenager, I, I kind of considered um, maybe thinking about uh, being a missionary to Brazil. That was something I, I took a bit of an interest in. I knew Brazil was a big country, lots of people there, and uh, they need God just as much as we do. So... Maybe, maybe I thought about maybe God will call me to go there. And uh, it wasn't until I was in college, I was dating Wendy, and I got to see the ministry in Mexico there, sort of just to completely see the, 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 the depravity of life there. It's such a, such a, well, poor people, really, and it's not poor so much in the financial sense, although they are very, very poor compared to what we have here in the U.S., but poor as in they, they, don't have, they don't have the hope of Jesus. There's so much Catholicism running rampant in the country there. And uh, recently, my, my pastor made a good point in his sermon. He said that uh, all, all false religions, they're all reliant on something you do. And uh, Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's all, it's all reliant on something that is done. Jesus already paid the price. We don't, have to, we don't have to work our way to heaven. And if we did have to, we'd all be in trouble because nobody would be able to. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. All that to say, I was, uh, I was in Bible college at the time. I got to visit Mexico, and I remember specifically saying, Lord, will you allow me to go? Can, can I go to Mexico? I, I, I didn't have any specific calling. I, I was fairly, um, fairly uh, efficient when it came to media and such. I, I knew my way around a computer fairly well, and I, I thought maybe God will just let me go to you know, work some secular job and, and run a sound room uh, or, or a sound booth, something like that at a church. And I'd be just fine with that. That sounds great. That's an important job. When the, when the mic's cut out, everybody looks back at those people because they're the ones in charge of fixing it because they know how to. <laughs> so I, I, I had considered that, but that was more so, uh, I guess, my uh, sort of what I would, assumed I would do. It came to the point God really gave me a burden for Mexico. And I just said, will you allow me to go? And God, of course, said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> but uh, no, God, God said, of course, he, he's opened every single door on our way to where we are now. And uh, he's given me a great wife, and, uh, who's, who's very, by the way, more eager than anybody I know to get back to the mission field. She's, uh, she's talking every single day to me about what kind of food she wants to go back and have. Sometimes I don't know what she's talking about, but usually it's a variation of a tortilla and meat and cheese and beans and, and rice. But... Uh, that that type of thing just it doesn't just come out of nowhere, folks. God gave me a, the the perfect person for me to marry, and I, of course I, I I got married to her two years after we continually dated, even unto this day. <laughs> and but God's opened every single door. I don't I don't speak very well uh, in public. I, I I appreciate y'all laughing at my jokes. I know they're funny. I'm glad you get them too. But uh, but I'm not I'm not very comfortable talking in public. But that's that's something I can I can get by because. When I get behind a pulpit, I start showing you what the Word of God has to say. It's not so much what I'm saying anymore, is it? It's what God already said, and His Word is eternal, so He's saying it today too. Anyways, um, but of course God allowed us to, and we began deputation. Uh, I finished Bible college in December of 20, December 2021. I guess I'm getting older. Um, but December 2021, I was able to finish a semester early in order to uh, allot some time for us to go to the field early. I had to take my survey trip. I had to learn the ropes. Of course, my wife growing up there for as many years as she did, uh, she knew them already. She was just going back home and getting to visit for months at a time. That was pretty great for her. But uh, we got to visit several different pastors, uh, different churches that have already been planted, and just sort of learning how we go about these type of things. If y'all have the uh, slideshow ready back there, we'll go ahead and start with the, the first one. There we go. So just some pictures. Uh, this is in Ecuador, but I'm going to show y'all a few pictures of just what the... Uh, 
what the life's like there and how things, how things sort of function. Um, that's a bunch of sheep in the back of a pickup truck. Now, I grew up in uh, the middle of nowhere down in North Carolina in a town called Staley. Uh, if you watch Andy Griffith, they talk about Siler City. We're about 15 minutes from there. But uh, it's not, not, I've never seen my neighbor drive sheep around in his car. I've seen him herd them with his, with his truck before, but I've never seen him put them in the back and transport them. Anyways, but this type of thing you'll see. Next picture, please. Uh, this, is a, <laughs> this is in Ecuador. You have to wear seat belts or at the very least look like it. Uh, if you can't see it well enough, that, that uh, my buddy Daniel there, he has a seat belt. It doesn't have a buckle, so he just looped it around the parking brake. And uh, <laughs> now you see it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they're very, very strict road laws in, in Ecuador. If they catch you speeding, they'll put you in jail. If they catch you without a seatbelt, they'll, they'll ticket you, so you have to at least appear like it. I, praise the Lord for church buses. Uh, <laughs> next picture, please. That's, uh, there you go. Like I said, praise the Lord for it. They have a wooden bench there in the church van, and they'll fit about six people on there. Now, that one particularly is not secured to the floor. So going up the hill, <laughs> people are leaning forward. And if they hit the brakes, everyone's coming forward. But uh, it's, it's quite an adventure. The, uh, I've got another picture somewhere. I don't think I have it in the slideshow. But the way they don't, they don't have a, a key to this van, but they just uh, they, they lift up the, the driver's seat and they take out the car battery. So the car battery is the key for the church van. And, uh, you know, if it works, it works. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it at all. It got us from point A to point B. And praise the Lord, on Sunday morning, it got plenty of people to church. Uh, next picture, please. Uh, for those of you that are squeamish, maybe look away, but uh, that is called cuy, or cuyo. It's an Ecuador uh, delicacy, and in the States, or in Mexico, it's, or, or Ecuador, I suppose, it's spelled C-U-Y. Uh, in Ecuador, it's spelled uh, however you spell guinea pig. Uh, <laughs> um, it was really, really good, actually. I'd eat it again if I got a chance, and, and Lord willing, I will. Uh, there's lots of foods in Ecuador that I don't look forward to eating. Well, okay, one particular thing. So, in Ecuador... There's, uh, there's, there's these jungles where they have, um, like the Alka Indians, the uh, Warani tribe, different, different, different types of uh, native Indians to, to Ecuador. And uh, I'll get, Lord willing, uh, in, the, in the near future, a chance to go down there and, and uh, plant some churches there with my brother-in-law, who's already done so in the past. They uh, have a very odd culture there. Um, they, they, they eat monkey, which is something I actually look forward to eating. They, they said, next time, you know, when you get to come to the jungles, we're, eat, we're eating monkey brains together. I said, all right, I look forward to it. Uh, what I don't look forward to is uh, something called chicha, I think. Chicha. Um, so the, in Ecuador, uh, when you knock on someone's door to tell them about Jesus, they answer the door, they will offer you this cup. You have to drink from this cup, otherwise you are not welcome there. They don't want to hear you. It's basically a, a slap in the face to them. It's an insult. Uh, chicha is it's the fermented saliva and sometimes like chewed up corn and such of, from the woman of the household. And... Uh, you got to take a sip from that in order to talk to them, and I don't look forward to that particularly. But uh, if it's uh, if it's what's needed to get to tell them about Jesus, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. Uh, next picture, please. I think it's another one of our good friends there. <laughs> That's how they uh, cook guinea pig. They put them on a bunch of spikes, cook them over some coals, and they spin it like a pinwheel. Uh, it's kind of funny to watch, actually. But they'll have a whole like uh, street lined with that type of thing, and. And uh, cooking those up. It's really good, actually. Very tender once you get past the skin. It's very salty, too. I think they preserve it in salt, if I remember right. Uh, next picture, please. There's, uh, there's fish. It's, uh, I think that was tilapia they gave me. I don't know, honestly. But uh, <laughs> I ate it, and it was pretty good. Uh, the word for uh, fish in, in Spanish is, let me tell me if I got it mixed up, pescado. Right. The word for fish is pescado in Mexico, in Spanish. 
Um, but the word for, for sin is pecado. Now, you, some of you know where this is going. Uh, when somebody like me starting out, still learning Spanish, still, uh, still, still learning the ropes, trial and error, and more so error. <laughs> I'll be telling people about the Lord sometimes, and I'll try and tell them, look, this verse says, for all have sinned. And I'll say, everybody's, everybody's, everybody's got sin. I've got sin. You've got sin. But what they're hearing is, is I have, I have a fish. You have fish. Every single person that has ever lived on this earth has fish. And they're like, all right. And I'll tell them, the Bible says, because of us having fish, we're on our way to a place called hell. <laughs> and usually <laughs> they'll stop me. They'll, oh, I think you're confused. I think you mean this word. Uh, anyways, but that's, that's some, the thing is, the thing that bothers me the most, I knew it ahead of time. I knew these words are so similar. And I told myself, don't mix these two words up because it'll be embarrassing. I heard a pastor tell me that he did that before. And I was like, all right, I'll make sure I don't mess that up. I, so I specifically went over those words in my head to make sure to not, and I guess it's because it was already in my head. I used that word instead. But uh, yeah, so I've told several people at this point. Obviously, I've corrected it by that point, And uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, I think you mean sin, and I'll, I'll continue with the plan of salvation. And uh, just to make sure there's no error there, I have my wife speak to these people after I do, just to make sure I didn't uh, blaspheme anything <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, I praise the Lord for a wife who's more fluent than I am in the language, at least for now. <laughs> Anyways, um, next picture, please. That's a, a dog with a big old lizard. I thought that was interesting, so I took a picture of it. Uh, lots of stray dogs in uh, Mexico. That one, I think, was in Puerto Vallarta. But anyways, next picture. That's, uh, believe it or not, uh, I think a dozen or so people lived in that house. Uh, something like that here in the States, you usually see as a condemned building or, or something just run down nobody lives in. But the, the state of which people live, it's really... It's really so much, so much worse than what you find when it comes to, to poverty in this nation. Obviously, there's a lot of, lot of um, poor situations out there, but I've never seen anything quite like I have when I was in Mexico. Uh, next picture, please. <clears throat> Here's another one. You can see they, they've kind of uh, assembled a house. Sort of the way things work there, you, uh, you don't really, mm, I don't know the term for it, but you kind of just build up somewhere that's not uh, got a property on it. So you throw whatever you can together, make a house out of it, and live in there. And uh, if you can prove to the government you've lived there for a certain amount of time, they'll, they'll give you that property. So you'll, you'll see houses that are just made out of the, uh, what's that? Squatter's rights, that's the term for it. But uh, you just, you, you live somewhere, you prove to the government you've lived there, and they'll let you have the property, and that's sort of how things are obtained there. Um, next picture, please. These are, uh, these are several houses, actually. It's it's, um, I think, five or six, if I remember right. But it just looks like, it looked like some type of fence of sorts, but it's, it's got several different uh, homes there built together and several different families living in it. Next picture, I think it shows, yeah, there you go. They have a, a gas station sign there that they use as the door. And uh, you, we were able to talk to them and get them to show up for the, uh, the soul winning campaign we had there and uh, witness to them as well. I, I don't think, uh, probably, I've got, I've got pictures that I'll explain that in a second. Uh, next picture, please. This is, uh, this is something you'll see on, on most every city block, and it'll be the nicest thing on the whole block. This is their, uh, their little shrine, I suppose you'd call it. They've got a statue of Mary there, and always in the background of it, it seems, is a statue of Jesus hanging on the cross as to, so as to put Mary first. The Catholicism in, in Mexico, it's the main religion there. You'll, you'll talk to somebody, they'll, they'll usually uh, claim to be Catholic, sometimes in the same way that people in the States will claim to be Christian, and they say they go to the church down the road there, and oh, what's the name of it? They don't remember because they haven't been in so many years. But uh, 
a lot of people are, they claim Catholicism or they are devout Catholic. And, uh, you'll, you'll see, um, just how prevalent it is as you go throughout the, the country there. The, uh, the main part of, uh, Mexico City, right in the middle of it, in the middle of the capital, there's the, uh, cathedral, which they, uh, the Catholics came in and, and took over from the, uh, uh, is it Aztecs? Took over from the Aztecs, uh, I'm not sure how long ago. But it's just, it's this, this huge building, so many gold statues and, and murals and such like that. It's, it's such a, it's such a profitable, uh, false religion, really, and everybody seems to, to fall into it because so many people have a, uh, you know, they'll have a grandmother that was Catholic, and so they are too, by, by whatever umbrella that falls under. Um, one thing that, uh, you'll see in, uh, in Mexico City, you'll see people on the, uh, in the capital, in the, in the city, they'll be walking on their knees with a, a big old statue of Mary, or the, uh, the Holy Death, they call it, is another, one is essentially, uh, it's, it, it just looks like a skeletonized Mary statue, in my opinion. But uh, they'll, they'll have those idols on their back, and they'll be walking on their knees sometimes for miles to get to the capital, just in, in hopes of some type of forgiveness of sin and some type of uh, atonement for, for the wrong they've done. Uh, in fact, on Easter, when my wife was growing up, uh, they, she lived on a mountain where they had uh, three crosses, and on Easter they would take uh, whatever whoever they could find among them that was the worst sinner, and they would they would uh, parade him around the the city block. They would be torturing him in similar ways Jesus was, and they would nail him to that cross, just in hopes of atoning for his sin somehow. And obviously, we know that's not how forgiveness of sin works. There's nothing we can do to forgive our own sins. But uh, these people, they believe that wholeheartedly that they can. Uh, one thing, and this is another thing, it just it bothers me. Is usually when you see a, a statue or a cross, something like that. Most of the time, you'll see uh, Jesus hanging on it. Now, Jesus died on the cross for us. We all know that. But they took him off of that cross. They laid him in a grave. And praise the Lord, my Savior raised up again. He came back from the dead. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no salvation, folks. I don't want to remember Jesus in his death. I want to remember what he, that he did die for me, but he rose again. Everybody can die, but Jesus rose again. Praise the Lord. I'm, just, I'm, I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. We don't serve somebody that's dead. We don't serve somebody that, that never existed in the first place. We serve a real living God. And I praise the Lord for that. Uh, next picture, please. This is in Ecuador. This is a uh, another. This this cross here doesn't have Jesus on it, but it is a uh, another Catholic uh, church there that this is planted at. But I uh, I like this. I took this picture myself, as most of these I did. But uh, it's sort of overlooking the city of Quito, the capital of Ecuador, and uh, it just sort of um, I like it because it sort of represents to me is that uh, despite all the the Catholicism sort of looming over. This entire uh, culture, entire uh, land type of thing. There's still hope in the in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next picture, please. This is where we come in. This is how we do our soul winning campaigns. I'll tell you one thing. I said I grew up in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. I grew up on God guns and good cooking. I have seen some of the most redneck things in my life in Mexico. All right, <laughs> and it's fantastic. Now, before I talk to you, you'll see, this is my friend Martin here. This is how we start off the day. He's uh, tying a speaker to the top of the car there with some bungee cords and some rope. Now, what we do is we record our voice. We say that we're, uh, we're going to have, a, 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 you know, games, prizes, songs, preaching, all that type of stuff. And we'll, uh, we'll drive around the neighborhood for a while and we'll, we'll make a noise. We'll, we'll make what essentially would be a noise complaint here in the States. And uh, people will people will come from all around. They'll they'll come out from their houses and such. We'll be able to talk to them. Sometimes we can witness them in person, but usually people will say, "Oh yeah, we want to show up." So we'll all uh, we'll 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 gather them up in a public area, like a like a park or something like that. 
and uh, we'll, we'll preach the gospel to them. Obviously, we'll have more things to bring them in. We'll, we'll give out prizes. We'll have games and stuff. But uh, after that, we, we have preaching to them. Um, uh, let me see here. I was going to say something else. Something else I was thinking about. I was talking about redneck things in Mexico. Uh, yeah, lots of things you'll see on the road there, especially. I, uh, this is a quick, quick side story, but we were, we were stuck in traffic, real heavy traffic around Christmas time. And, uh, I was, I was, I was wondering why, why, I hope there wasn't a bad wreck, anything like that. Uh, bumper to bumper traffic. Eventually a lane opened up. We all start pulling over and, and passing. And, and like you do, you look to see the carnage that went on and, and, and pray that whoever was there was okay. Uh, there was no wreck. There was just a, a, a lonesome fella with a, what looked like a shopping cart from Home Depot, the big orange ones type of thing, running down the road as quick as his little legs could take him. But, uh, yeah, that type of thing you'll see. Anyways, I thought that was funny. I don't have a picture of it though. Next picture, please. There's another picture of our uh, noise complaint on wheels there, but these people don't complain about it. Praise the Lord, they get excited for it. Uh, next picture. There we go. This is uh, this is what we're all here for. This is the main point of what we're doing. If without the uh, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, all this would be just wasting time and money. We uh, we get out to these people. We we invite them obviously to come hear the gospel of Christ. But of course, we we tell them about Jesus. Not everybody's going to show up. Not everybody's going to come hear the preaching. So if we get the chance to, while we're there, take the gospel to them. God said for the church to go to the sinners, not for the sinners to go to the church. Uh, next picture, please. There we go. It's another one. Uh, I don't remember his name. I consider him a friend, and I forget his name. <laughs> um, but again, it's another picture of us, us witnessing there and uh, to the locals in Mexico. Next picture. There, uh, there's, there's quite a few ways that we have. Like I said, there's, of course, the car there. Uh, if you can look real close, you see somebody on top of that car maybe you're familiar with. Uh, that'd be Mickey Mouse. Um, <laughs> you have, you have, we have a few different uh, costumes and such, just something to get the kids more excited and involved. Uh, next picture, please. Yeah, there we go. If you look close in that picture, you can see a, a Batman and a Captain America. And, you know, the kids will show up. Some of them will be there 30 minutes before we ever show up to start preaching to them and such. So they'll get to throw a Frisbee with Captain America and, and things like that. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun for them. And of course, things, things, uh, sober up by the time it's time to give out the gospel. Um, the interesting thing about this is that, uh, they, these don't just work on, on children, believe it or not. Next picture, if you would. I'm going to go through this real quick. Uh, this this fellow's name is Jesse. I met him in uh, Puerto Vallarta. It's like the west coast of Mexico. Uh, he lived in Canada his whole life. He grew up there. He had a wife and a daughter, and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, due to that, his wife told him she wasn't going to watch him die, so she took his daughter, and, and they left him. So he didn't... Horrible story, really. He didn't have anything to live for. He just started traveling. He uh, He went through all of South America. He said he had visited every country there. And uh, he had just left from Peru and made it to Puerto Vallarta. And he was in Puerto Vallarta for, I think, three weeks. And I was there for a week and a half. He didn't speak a lick of Spanish. And I, I commend him for going through those many, that many countries without speaking any Spanish. But he didn't speak any Spanish. And this was early on in our survey trip. So I didn't speak any Spanish either. Now, when it came to him seeing uh, this, this, you know, what, what all the fuss was going about, he looked out there, he saw Batman, and he saw some, uh, some of our, our workers there, and they said, hey, come on to church. And he said, oh, I saw Batman, and uh, I said, all right, I'll follow Batman. So he came into church, and uh, people started trying to witness to him. They realized he didn't speak any Spanish, so they all knew Brother Stephen. He, he doesn't speak, he speaks English. So they come over to me, they're like, Brother Stephen, here. Like, oh, okay. So he came, sat by me, and I got to hear, of course, his, his life story he told me about. I got to witness to him. He trusted Christ as his Savior. Amen. And uh, he got baptized that night as well. But uh, the, the divine appointments God makes for us. I was, in, you know, I was in that area without any Spanish for a couple of weeks. He was in that area for a couple of weeks without any Spanish, and God put us in each other's path. It's just amazing to me what the Lord will do. Uh, next picture, please. This is the, uh, the result of our, of our labor there. 
this is this is just one of the several days we have where we uh, do these. Uh, they, they call them escuelitas, which means little schools or uh, escuelita uh, biblico. So little little Bible schools, basically vacation Bible schools that you start up in public areas. And this is just this is just one of the days we had there, and just several people. You'll have hundreds of people showing up at a time. Uh, our our three month survey trip, I believe it mentioned in the video. I think it mentioned in the video, but we were able to see 2,500 people receive Christ as their Savior through these different uh, soul winning campaigns we were able to do. Next picture, please. This is uh, these are actually people. This is part of the group, but these are the ones that are wanting to come forward for uh, baptism. We I didn't mention it yet. We have a portable baptistry we take. It's just this metal frame and this uh, tarp that we sort of uh, set over it and we fill it with water um, through. Either you know somebody local that'll let us use their water, or we'll buy a bunch of uh, the big gallon jugs and we'll uh, fill it up that way. But uh, people, they sometimes they they change. We have baptistry robes for them to change into if they so desire. A lot of times people just get in and whatever they're wearing, and that's I commend them for that. Uh, next picture, please. This is another one of the days. Praise the Lord. We've had so many people, and, and I'll tell you what. The first day of me doing this, going around the neighborhood, making that much noise, and telling people, "Come on," I'm just thinking, "This is insane. This is never going to work." I feel like a crazy person right now, and I probably look like one too. But I'll tell you what, all that is completely null and void when it comes to getting people to gospel. Because seeing the results like this, it just, it moved me. Seeing all these people there that I'd, I'd never be able to, to reach otherwise, and, and maybe it would take you, you know, weeks at a time to go and talk to all these people individually, more than likely, but we were able to get this many people here in one place and give them the gospel. Uh, next picture, please. The, uh, just like with anything, once you, uh, you know, you get, you get over with the fun, you finish the games, you finish the songs, you stop giving out candy and such. We, obviously, we, we stop everything, we slow it down for them to, to preach the gospel to them. Uh, some people sort of straggle, some people are like, they've, they've had their fun, they're ready to go. My, uh, my wife is probably the best soul winner I've ever met in my life. She is very good at speaking to people, in Spanish particularly, uh, about the gospel. So these, these three kids here, and it was more than that in a minute here, but uh, she was able. She saw them, so she she runs after them, starts talking to them, and asks them about their soul. And uh, it's always, <laughs> it's always the shortest chubby one of the group that is the leader of it. So she's talking for a second. He goes, "Hold on a second. And he calls like his four or five other friends over there. He says, "Come over here, guys. You need to hear this." So they come over, and she was able to witness to I believe six or seven boys, uh, young boys that morning, and they got saved. And I think next picture, please. I, I think yeah, there he is. Uh, one of them came back afterwards to get baptized. You see, there he is in his blue jeans and his t-shirt, but. He came back and uh, we were able to explain to him what baptism was and the significance of it while not being required for salvation, but as a step of obedience. And he came back and got baptized there by uh, Pastor Obed. Uh, next picture, please. This, uh, I'll probably finish up with this story. But this is a church in Tabasco, Mexico, the very tail end, or right near the tail end, rather. But uh, this is uh, Pastor Miguel is one of the church plants from my father-in-law. Same thing with the other churches we visited and you've seen pictures from already. But uh, this one particularly special to me. Uh, next photo, please. Uh, this is their church van, and you might want to get a tetanus shot just by looking at it, but I'll tell you what, they bring people to church in it. Uh, next picture. I'm going to hurry through these. We were, uh, we were re, uh, I guess upholstery might be the term. We were putting new fabric on the seats because the one they had before was ugly. And uh, they, they, they were showing me that we're using staples to put this fabric on. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then he's pointing at a nail, and he says, not these. And I said, I didn't expect to use, you know, what kind of crazy person would put nails in the seat? And he said, the people that had it before used nails. And he showed me the back of his pant leg, and it had a hole in it from where he had sat down. <laughs> One of those nails poked up through. So uh, praise the Lord, we use staples on those seats. Um, next picture, please. Now, this, uh, this church that, was, that had that uh, van we just talked about, Pastor Miguel's church, the, the government came in, uh, I, think, I think it must have been January 2021, and they, they told um, 
Pastor Miguel, that you can't, you can't meet here anymore. You can't have church here anymore. You're going to have to shut it down. If I remember right, the government wanted the property, and uh, they, they'd leverage that however they could. But uh, they said, you can't have church here anymore. So what the pastor did was he, he sold his house where he actually lived, and he moved into the church. This, uh, this here, you're looking at what, what would be, we would call his bedroom. It's just some curtains around their, their bed there in, the, uh, in the, what used to be the church fellowship hall. Uh, next picture, please. This is their, their children's room. The three kids share this room here. And uh, they, the next picture, please. I think there it is. Um, but the government came back shortly after, and they said, you're still having church here. We told you you can't meet here anymore because of, of COVID, because of this, because of that. You can't have church here anymore. And he said, well, you know, sir, this isn't, this isn't my church anymore. This is my house. I live here. Here's my bedroom. Here's where my kids sleep. And uh, the government, they, they legally can't stop him from having his own home. They can't stop him from having people meet at his house. So now every single week, they have church there at the pastor's house, and uh, they continue giving the gospel of Christ out to the world through that. And that, that type of thing, it's, it's a phenomenal story, but it really makes me ask myself, what am I willing to give up to, to, to further the gospel for the Lord? And it, it, it's convicting to me. I thought it might be convicting to you as well. Uh, this here, you're looking at not the, not the prettiest toilets you've ever seen, but I'll tell you what, if you had ones like that, your wife could never get mad at you for leaving the seat up because there ain't one. <laughs> Anyways. But uh, we, were, we were actually able to get these, uh, these toilets installed for them, and the, the sinks as well. The sinks look a little nicer there, but we were able to get those things installed for them at the, uh, at the church there, or the pastor's house, if you want to call it that. But uh, we were able to get those installed. Before that, they just had plastic bags, and I'll tell you what, most anything is an improvement from that. But they were, they were very grateful for that, obviously. Um, but before, before they ever did that for themselves, before they ever went and got their own uh, indoor plumbing, could you go to the next picture, please? There it is. They had eight missionaries. Eight missionaries, they had, some of them, I believe, they had sent out of their own church, but they were supporting those people because they put that at a higher priority than something like indoor plumbing, which just seems like such a, such a base necessity uh, that we'd think of, but, but something like that for them, it's, it's secondary to the gospel. Next picture, please. Or is that the last picture? That's all we got? All right, then. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up with this. And uh, I should give you all the, the references. Matthew chapter 9. The last two verses there. Familiar passage. Actually, I'll start at verse 36, if that's all right. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, if you would read it with me. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The Great Commission is to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know that. But long before Jesus said to do that, he said pray. Verse 38, the first three words, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. God's not saying necessarily not to go. Obviously, we're called to do that, whether it be in a foreign country or in your own backyard. But everybody's required. Everybody's called to do that type of thing. Everybody's told to, rather. But uh, the, the, the Great Commission, it's, it's not a, I keep calling it a call, it's not a call you can answer, it's a command you're supposed to obey. But to hear in verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I just want to ask you, if I could challenge you real quick, are you praying? I know a lot of times as Christians we say, I'm praying for you. And sometimes, sometimes we, it means we said a quick prayer for him and that's it. But are you praying for the lost in, in these countries you may never get to visit, speaking languages you may never speak? Everybody can pray. Some can give. And obviously, on deputation, that's, that's part of our goal here. 
But uh, we could have a million dollars every single month down in Mexico, and it's not going to provide us a bit of safety that God can give us. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. God can take care of us a lot better than money ever can. All I'm asking is, are you praying? Are you praying that, that God will send somebody to these places that, that you can't go to? And if you're not praying, I, I suppose I have to ask, is it because you're maybe afraid God's going to say, why don't you go? Just something to think about, I suppose. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back over to you. I believe I've said all I've got to say. You listen to missionary Stephen Simmons. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.